You're listening to the light version of the Piece of Persistence. Visit patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash piece of persistence for complete access with double the content and zero ads. Hi, and welcome to the Piece of Persistence, the show where we seek to discover the keys to achieve happiness and success one honest conversation at a time. I'm your host, Abigail Wright, and I'm so thrilled to introduce you to my friend and colleague, Mukund Murate, who has invited us into his home today. Mukund was introduced to Beethoven at age eight and the Beatles at age nine, and the resulting pleasant confusion has remained with him his entire musical life, as evidenced by the fact that he's sung just about every type of musical form imaginable, from early music to modern jazz. His favorite musical activities include singing the Evangelist in Bach Passions, Sport and Life in Porgy and Bess, singing Lyle Lovett songs in church, and being what he calls a utility infielder, singing either alto or tenor, depending on which various choir group he's singing in. He sang with the New York City Opera Company for 27 years, toured with the Greg Smith Singers. He was on The Letterman Show, South African Television, sang with great jazz legend Dave Brubeck, and has toured literally all around the world. His favorite activities outside of singing include reading science fiction, practicing his calligraphy, dancing, making his garden grow, recently becoming a two-time champion on the show Jeopardy, and explaining to his two sons why people say such awful things about tenors. He says his wife, mezzo-soprano Mary Marate, already knows. Mogan, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure. I'm so excited to just be able to have a conversation with you. And I've always wondered um, specifically about your upbringing. You're such an amazing guy. You're such an amazing person, well-rounded, and always so happy. And I've always wondered about your family. What was your upbringing like? In a very real way, I'm a typical American guy because my parents were both immigrants. They came from India, uh, and I grew up in uh, in Astoria, Queens, um, in a neighborhood that was about as multi-ethnic as you can imagine. Um, And uh, my parents uh, ran a business together. My father ran the wholesale end of it, and my mother ran the retail store where mostly they sold uh, Indian art goods. And uh, it was actually in uh, 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 30 Rockefeller Plaza in the concourse, uh, where there are no stores there anymore, but that's, that's what they did. Um, so I grew up with Indian culture and American culture uh, because my parents, uh, although very, very proud of their Indian heritage, they wanted us to be Americans. So we did the things that Americans did. And when I was growing up, there weren't that many Indians living in New York City, not like there are now. Mm. Um, so it was kind of an interesting experience. Um, and I, I had a, a pretty happy childhood. Um, my mother was very musical. Uh, my father was not, but he loved music. And they gave me that love of music, definitely. And when I was a little kid, um, they always used to say, half-jokingly, that they always figured I'd either be a singer or a a stand-up comedian. And then when I decided to be a singer, they were both horrified, of course, (laughs) Uh, because I was supposed to become a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, like every good Indian boy who comes to America is is supposed to do. But uh, 
things actually worked out. That's great. You've performed such amazing art around the world and, and you've seen so much of the world. Has that wide exposure enhanced or changed your life in any way? I think it did um, because you just got to talk to people. Um, uh, two, two trips that really broadened my outlook were uh, uh, one trip that we took to South Africa. I sang with uh, an acapella sextet and we did a month-long tour of South Africa. We were doing basically a concert every other night and hopping all around the, the country. And we got to meet a lot of really interesting people. And we got to see firsthand uh, what South Africa was like. And in fact, we landed in South Africa on the day that they announced the end of apartheid. Wow. Yeah, and there were full-page ads in the newspapers that were written by uh, uh, de Klerk saying, I hope all South Africans will understand that unless all of us are free, none of us are free. Which was, I mean, it was just amazing, you know, to, to arrive at that, at that point in history. And there was such a feeling going on in the country of, of um, hope uh, and some fear for what the future would bring, uh, and a lot of optimism yeah. about what was going to happen, and um, and it was just really, really a fun, fun time. And the other, the other, uh, the trip that uh, you know exposed me to a culture that I really didn't know a whole lot about was when uh, um, I went to Japan. Um, and we did uh, a concert with the Sapporo Symphony of Bach arias. And I discovered then, which I guess a lot of other people knew already, that the Japanese are just crazy about Western classical music. And they were so into it, and they just loved Bach so much. And the people in the symphony orchestra had a great time with it. And, and we had a lot of fun uh, doing it, and also showing them that uh, just because it was Bach and just because it was, you know, serious music didn't mean it couldn't be fun as well. And they, they enjoyed that a lot because um, we found that, you know, Japanese culture can be very restricted in some ways. There are mm -hmm. ways you're supposed to act, there are ways you're supposed to do things, but they're also very fun-loving people. So I, I really had a really great time just getting to know the people who were there. Hey, guess what? I'm writing my first book. I've always thought I had a story to tell, and I'm really excited to start. It's true. I'm just in the beginning stages, but I'm confident it's going to be great. Why? Because I'm using Chandler Bolt's advice and his self-publishing school. They help you every step of the way from the start to the very finish and everything in between. It's an incredible guided process and helps make even a beginning author like me confident that I can create and sell my story. If you have a story to tell too, right now you can go to pieceofpersistence.com publish for more information and a free workshop. In the workshop, Chandler teaches you the three-step system he uses to write, publish, and launch a best-selling book in as little as 90 days, and how to use your book to leave a legacy. You'll also get a free copy of his best-selling book, Book Launch. Check it out now at pieceofpersistence.com publish. I know I'm excited to get started. So maybe you won't be a DJ, but uh, you we put dancing in your bio, and I, I've had the immense pleasure of dancing with you and Mary uh, several times. Have you 
always enjoyed dancing as your favorite form of exercise, and do you do any other forms of exercise to stay healthy? Yeah, the short answer is it's probably my favorite kind of exercise is to dance. I love to dance. Um, I should be doing more regular exercise than I'm doing. Uh, my doctor thinks so too. And one of my New Year's resolutions is to get back into it. But I, it's, it's, it's hard to find the time to do it. But I really need to do it. I need to do the same thing that I tell my students, which is that when you're a singer, your, your body, your entire body, is the instrument that you're playing. And you, you, know, you wouldn't leave your violin case out in the rain. And you, you should take care of the, the instrument if, you, if you're going to be serious about it. So it's, it's a good motivation for me to exercise. And frequently I hear my own voice telling my students things that I think, you know, I should really be following that advice. Yes. <laughs> So that's being exercising is, is an important thing. Yeah, but that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Clearly you exercise your mind and so I really want to talk to you about your experience with Jeopardy. It was so exciting to see you and to see you win twice to become a two-time returning champion. Uh, what was that like? Did you enjoy the audition process and have you always wanted to be on the show? I have watched Jeopardy since I was a little kid when uh, it was, uh, I think, live in New York City. Really? With Art Fleming, who was the host. And it was on at lunchtime, and I used to come home from lunch and watch Jeopardy um, while I was having my lunch, and then go back to school. So I've always loved the show because, unlike almost anything else that you see on television, it was a show that seemed to reward you for being smart and knowing stuff. Hmm. Whereas a lot of things in our popular culture go just the opposite, you know. Truly. Um, in, and it's, you know, you know um, when I was a kid and watching Jeopardy, the words nerd and geek were not yet really in the language. But I think I loved it from the beginning because it was like they were these nerdy and geeky people, <laughs> you know. They were making money for knowing stuff. <laughs> I mean, I thought that was great. So yeah, I've always wanted to be on the show. And, and I think if you ask most of the Jeopardy contestants, how come you're on the show? It's because they're the guy in their house who's sitting on the couch watching the show and calling out all the answers. And then somebody else, in my case, my kids, were saying, Dad, you need to go on Jeopardy. You know all this stuff. You need to do this. So I took the online test. And that's, that's how they do the auditions now. You take a test online. Really? Yeah. And if you pass that, then they invite you to do a live audition. Oh. And so I had taken the test uh, several times and never heard back of them. And then I took this test and I took the test and then didn't think anything more about it until one day I got an email saying, we're going to have auditions in New York City. We'd like you to come. And so, uh, of course, and it was on a day I couldn't possibly do it. I had a rehearsal couldn't be changed. Oh, no. I wrote them back and said, I can't do this. Could we do it maybe the next time around? And they said, well, how about two days before? And I had the whole day off. So it was fine. So I went into, into New York. Uh, they had it at a hotel in Manhattan. And when you're there, you, uh, you take another test, of course, another written test. Uh, and then you play a mock game where you get up and you, you answer questions and you get to play with the, the buzzer and see how the how the signaling device works. 
and then they do a little interview on camera, um, which is sort of like what the host, Alex Trebek, will do during the show. And obviously they want people who have interesting stories and... Um, which you clearly do. Which I had plenty of, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they say, okay, you're in the contestant pool for 18 months now. You may hear from us, you may not. And uh, a couple of months later, they called me and said, we'd like you to be on the show. And they gave me the date and I worked it out. And uh, the rest is history. I mean, you were a two-time champion. What was it like? It was an incredibly fun experience um, because the people who run the show, the producers and the contestant coordinators, are all really nice people and they really do everything they can do to put you at ease at what you might imagine could be a very tense situation because there's money at stake, you know. Sure. And everybody wants to get the categories with all the things that they know, but you it's all luck. You don't know what's going to happen. They keep reminding you that it's supposed to be fun. And That's it, good. And it is. It is fun. Uh, and when the game is actually happening, it's very fast because the show is half an hour long, which means there's about actually 22 minutes of answering questions and giving responses. And so it goes by really, really fast. Um, I also really got to enjoy hanging out with my fellow contestants. Nice. Because um, you're in a room full of a, another dozen people who are just as nerdy and geeky as you are. <laughs> and I remember we had lunch because they do, they take three shows and then we had lunch and then they did two more. And I remember I was sitting, we were talking about getting nervous before the show and that sort of thing. And I looked around and I said, uh, how many people here have been waking up in the middle of the night? thinking, I don't know anything. And they all raised their hands. Wow. <laughs> we all had the same. So it was, you know, we bonded. It was really, really fun to, you know, to, to realize that you're in a room full of people who are, all, who are all the guy or the girl who sits on the couch and calls up all the answers. Yeah. So the, you know it's not going to be that easy. <laughs> no. uh, but it was so much fun. It's exciting. It was very exciting, yeah. This is a two-part episode. Stay tuned next week to hear more from Mukund in a really honest conversation about his struggles, how he sees humor as a great peacemaker, his advice to the world, and so much more. Thanks for joining us today on The Piece of Persistence Light. To hear more about how Mukund and Mary raised two children as musical freelancers, culture shocks, exercise, and how much Mukund learns by teaching, visit us on patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash piece of persistence for double the content and zero ads.